If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. In 2003 to 2004, I was stationed in Iraq. And while I was there, my fascination with Abraham... And actually, uh, Jonah became very real for several reasons. Uh, Iraq is is the former place of where uh, Abraham was at, and that's where he was called out of was called out of called out of Iraq, and it was where where Jonah was called to Iraq. And Jonah didn't like being in Iraq. He didn't want to. He didn't want to be there. You all know the story where he was swallowed by a big fish and brought and actually vomited on the shores of Iraq. And he never liked it there. Never. He, he was afraid that that God was going to bless them because they were the Assyrian Syrian military. They were the ones that were probably the arch enemies of Israel. And that's many years after Abraham, but. I'm getting ahead of myself. I only share that part of the story to say I didn't want to be in Iraq either. Amen. <laughs> I, I really didn't. I, and I felt very much kind of like Jonah. A lot of the time, I'd sit on the sit on the banks of the Tigris River, and I would wonder, you know, Lord, what in the world? How do you how do you think up these things? You must have a sense of humor, because of all the people in the world to sin here. You sent me here, you sent Jonah here, and you sent Abraham away from here. And here I am. But with that in mind, we we know that God knows more. He's omnipotent. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows our story. He knows the story about your mom. He knows where your mom is today, no, no longer, no more in tears. He knows what causes us to have problems and what causes us not to be able to sleep at night. And he never forsakes us. He never leaves us. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Dutch theologian, one that I, would, I often studied, made this observation. He said, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. And that's what I am this morning, and that's what you are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and accepted him into your life, you're no longer a sinner, but you are a saint. You belong to a citizen not only of this world, but of the world to come, the eternity past, eternity present, eternity future as a saint. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the calling, if you will, of Abraham. We're going to talk about your calling, talk about my calling. 
But before we do so, let me set the stage. As the brick of the great tower was crushed into dust, and Noah was now lingering at death's door, there was a child being born in the southern corner of Mesopotamia. It's been over 250 years since the fall of the great tower in Babylon. And the people have developed a new way of talking, dark ways, bitter ways, confusing ways, where they hear without understanding and they speak without moving their mouths. The new communities of the world have been so impacted by this one event that they have altogether abandoned the God that created them in his, in his image and have traded him for gods that they have themselves created in their own image. They now worship small pieces of stone and wood and have ears but do not hear and mouths that cannot speak. The people of the earth now seek oracle from hand-carved wooden walking staffs and counsel from the dead. After all, it's easier to worship that which is made in man's image rather than to worship the true image of God. By worshiping man's image of God crafted by man's hands, man retains the power to choose for himself what is right or what is wrong. The scattered people of the world are all choosing for themselves what is right, what is the path to life. But just 140 miles southwest of Babylon and their fallen ruins in an uninteresting part of the world in a place called Ur, a common man by the name of Abraham, meaning exalted father, is being born to a man called Terah. And it is because of this child, everything in our world to include his very namesake and your very namesake and my very namesake will be changed. Abraham, father of the multitude. You and me, Christian, son of God. And it's because of one that reason, because God speaks. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, verse 1, chapter Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land. I will show thee, and will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee all families of the earth will be blessed. We listen, we see the call of Abraham, and, and for those that underestimate the power and underestimate the importance of the Old Testament, they miss out on the fullness of what the New Testament has to offer to us. Here we have thousands of years before the New Testament, the story, the picture of our conversion into Christianity. First, God speaks. He speaks. My question to you, have you ever heard the voice of God? Has God spoken to you? You know, I've been a Christian for a good portion of my life now, and I have to honestly say, I've never heard the voice of God, not the audible voice of God. I've heard that still, small voice, that voice that assures me everything is going to be okay, that, that assures me that Jesus Christ loves me, that Jesus Christ died for me, that Jesus Christ 
we resurrected from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That voice, I've heard that voice. But I've never heard the audible voice of God. If it did, it probably scared me to death. I don't know what would happen. Have you heard the voice of God? The scriptures share God's voice coming out of a lot of different directions. In this particular passage of the scripture, it appears that God is speaking audibly to Abraham. Now, with Moses, he spoke out of a bush. In other places, he spoke out of the thunder. Sometimes God speaks out of the majestic mountains that we see from afar, and the majesty and the beauty of a flower. But somehow God speaks to us in such a manner as to let us know that he is alive, that he's real, and he wants to change our lives. And he spoke to Abraham. And it's interesting, he said, God spoke to Abraham. The Lord said unto Abraham. What does that tell you? What does it tell me? It says that God knows me personally. He knew Abraham personally. Before you were ever formed in the womb, God knew your name. God knows the the number of hair that you have upon your head. God is intimately involved in who I am. When God called me into the ministry, I didn't want to go. I knew what was involved in going into the ministry. I knew that it was going to take me away from my family. It was going to take me away from my friends. I just knew that. And for several years, I kind of fought that. Noah knew what was involved in ministry, too. He knew that he was going to be sent over to Nineveh to speak to a people that he didn't want to speak to. He was was going to do things and say things he didn't want to say. God has a calling for each one of us. God calls you, God calls me, God speaks to you. I didn't want to go. I remember sitting down with my mom and saying, well, I don't want to do this. And she said, but you are, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I guess I am. But I couldn't do it by myself. See, I had this concept, unlike Tim over here, who's he's a wonderful, very multi-gifted person. I enjoy listening to your preaching. I, I enjoy your abilities on the piano. I enjoy your, your, your music and, your, and your, your ability to, to sing. But that's not something God gave me. When I started preaching, singing, they asked me not to show up again. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. We had a guy named Brother Rake. You may know him. Some of you, I know you guys know him. He, the first thing he did when he came to the church was want to start a choir. I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. I was very, very, very involved in youth ministry until they started the choir. And then they put me in the front of the choir, and they put me in the second row of the choir, they put me in the third row of the choir, and then they started talking about, you know, you could really help us out if you started carrying some of this stuff back and forth for us. I got the message. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go into ministry, you, you're going to have to give me an errand just like you gave Moses because I can't do this by myself because you have to have, be able to, to sing and have music if you're a preacher. I mean, that's just, you just have to. Now, that's not true. But in my mind, it was. And you know something? The, the gracious part about God is that 
He takes us where we are and he facilitates our needs, even though we may not need them. In other words, he'll, he comes to us and says, okay, you don't need all that stuff, but if you think you do, I'll give you Aaron. Moses didn't need Aaron, but Moses thought he needed Aaron, but God was gracious, God was merciful. He said, okay, I'll give you Aaron. And he had Aaron. But many a time you'll hear where Moses spoke for himself and did a pretty good job. Well, I needed an Aaron. So I go to my Sunday school class and put my order in. I look across the table at my Sunday school class and I see my beautiful wife to be, Peggy. Saw this little brown eyed girl, long dark hair, fell in love. And then she said she played the piano. It was done. <laughs> done deal. Year, one year from that date, we got married. True story. Been married how many years now? 45? I had to make sure I got that right. And I'd do it all over again. God gives us what we need to get the job done. God will speak to you. The question is not whether God will speak to us or not. It's the question is whether we can hear them or not. Sometimes we might be too far away. Sometimes we allow ourselves to get too far away and out of range. It's kind of like when your kids are outside and you call and you call and you call and you can't hear them. There's usually two reasons you can't. Either they've gone so far away that they can't hear you, or they just don't want to come home. Sometimes God calls us and we hear him, but we just don't want to do what God wants us to do. God will also protect you. He'll take care of us. Now, when I was in Iraq, I remember quite vividly everything. To me, it was like yesterday. To you, it was quite a few years ago. But to me, it was like yesterday. I lost 120 soldiers while I was there. Can you imagine in one year doing 120 funerals? Can you imagine in one year talking to all of the, the family members and writing all those letters? That's not to include all the, the soldiers that lost arms and legs and things that you had to visually see. And I saw things that I can't unsee. Not me alone, many, many soldiers like that. I preached the sermons where I watched mortars fly over my head. Most of us go to church, we sit comfortably and say, hey, this is great. We got air conditioned. We're sitting in nice padded pews. We're not worried about someone killing us as we walk into the door. I built a church when I was in Iraq. In fact, it was the only church that was ever built, as far as I know, that from the ground up into crit. I had it contracted. I would get all dressed up like some kind of a super spook to go outside the gates so the bad guys wouldn't get me. And I would meet with this contractor and I thought I was doing something, you know. And I said, okay, I need four or five, was it six slabs of concrete for the bottom of this chapel. And they came in and they laid three slabs of concrete. I couldn't find them again. Had to get all dressed up in my super spook stuff again and go back outside and say, okay, where are they at? Where are they at? And the guy says, look, look, look here. 
and he had a little burlap bag and he pulled the burlap bag and did, all these ID cards fell out of it. There were Iraqi IDs. There were eight of them. I said, okay, what does that have to do with finishing the concrete? He said, well, these are your concrete workers. The Iraqis, the bad guys, found out that they were pouring your concrete. So they executed each one of them, beheaded them. I had a barber over there in Iraq to go see. Right before I left, I went to go see him for the last time. He was gone. I couldn't figure what happened. They found out he was cutting our hair, so they cut his hands off. Despite that, and at that point, I said, listen, I'm not sure if I want to have build this church. I'm not sure this, you know, I want to put people at risk in doing this. But they wanted to build this church, and they said they begged me to let them build the church. I said, no, we want to do this chaplain. So we continued until we got the church chapel built. The last thing about the chapel was supposed to have been a facade they were going to put around it. And it was a, uh, like a clay facade. And uh, so I got with the contractor again. It was, they came, and it was a man and his wife. Agreed upon a price, agreed upon what time they were going to be there. Well, they didn't show up. Come to find out what happened, they drove into the installation where I was at this particular time to meet with me rather than to me going out. And at the gate, there were the bad guys again looking at people that were coming and going, realized what he, that they were there, followed them after they left from talking to me, took them out into the middle of the desert and executed them, literally put bullets in the back of their heads. We take for granted sometimes our ability to walk into the doors of this church. We take for granted the ability to be able to, to raise our hands and worship God and to say the name of Jesus Christ out loud. I was told when I was building that church, a chapel, that I was wasting my time. My wife remembers I was writing letters back home saying, they're giving me a hard time about trying to build this church. They're building everything else around here. They're building mosques. They're doing this and doing that. But I, I, I really believe that God wants us to have a church for our soldiers. I don't know how long we're going to be in Iraq. We were there almost 10 years. But I know soldiers need this place of worship. I remember talking to going from one general to the next general. And finally, I was in the dining facility one day. We had a big tent type dining facility that stood about 300. And I would do what I do so well, which is run my mouth. And I just got frustrated. And I drew a crowd. And they're all the senior officers that were there. At that time, I was just, I was a major. But the rest of the people at the table, which were lieutenant colonels and colonels. And I got up and I started talking about the fact that we needed a church. That God would not be pleased with what we were doing here if we did not take care of our soldiers and not give them a place to worship God. I was talking to them, telling us it's inappropriate to have our soldiers downtown helping rebuild mosque without having a place for them to worship their own God. 
And I kept talking and talking and talking until finally the information went from my office to the commanding general's office of the, of the operations of all Iraq. And I got called in from my commander and said, the uh, CG wants to see you, Chaplain Kirby. And I said, he does. <laughs> he said, yes, he does. He's, he's kind of heard about your meeting you had over at the, uh, your, your little meeting you had at the uh, dining facility. I said, well, if I had a chapel, it wouldn't have happened. I could have done that in my chapel. But I didn't have a chapel. He said, well, you had a congregation, chaplain, and they heard you. And what had happened was they came to, to each one of the commanders that were there came to me and said, listen, chaplain, uh, you really feel strongly about this, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. The CG met with me. He says, you know, you're, you're causing kind of ruckus. You know, we, it would be preferred if we didn't hear from you. I said, well, that's not going to happen. And that's not why I'm here. I'm here for a purpose. And if that's not my purpose, then let me go home. <laughs> but you're not going to let me go home. To be honest with you, at that time, he wasn't too, too far from letting me go home. Not really letting me go home, but telling me to go home. And I wasn't too sure what was going to happen. After that meeting, he had a meeting with the commanders to say, okay, what are we going to do about this chaplain? And the commanders got together and said, well, sir, we need to ask one question. Is Chaplain Kirby right? And he said, well, we don't need to ask that question. He says, yes, we do, sir. We need to ask that question. And it was the uh, Alabama National Guard full-word colonel that got up and said, you know, my guys would be more than happy to volunteer our time to build that chapel. Then the engineers of another commander got up and says, we'd be willing to give all the property, all the, all the lumber. Some more engineers said, well, we're willing to give all the machinery. Before it was over, all the commanders on that installation to crit had volunteered their time, their effort, and their men to build that chapel. We built the chapel. We worshiped in that chapel for at least the last seven months of my time while I was in Iraq. The price of worshiping God is not always easy and it's not always inexpensive. Sometimes it costs people's lives. It costs Jesus Christ his. And we are to be like Jesus Christ. We are to be Christians. Did I waste my time? I don't think so. That church was used for almost eight years after that. The funny thing after that, just to add kind of a sweet ending to the story, was that my son decided to become a chaplain assistant and he joins the army. Wouldn't you know it, he gets sent back to where I was at. His job was to take care of the chapel that I built eight or nine years prior. They were leaving Iraq and they decided to close the chapel down because they were leaving. The soldiers were leaving and no more, there would no longer be anyone there to use it. And my son tells me a story that they took all the chaplains that 
pastored that chapel over the course of 10 years and put their pictures on the walls of the chapel. He said, Dad, then I heard him talking about you. We've got to do what God tells us to do, whatever the cost. And the cost is getting high these days. We look what's going on in our world, we look at the morality of our, and the values of our world. I was talking to, since that time I've been in, in the Army, as you move up the ranks, it's like anything else, the world becomes a little bit different. The higher you go, a different perspective, a different view of things. By the time I became a Fulbright Colonel, I realized the politics that were involved in things. I was told on many occasions not to say the name of Jesus. That didn't go over well. I got called in by the mission commander for one of the largest commands in all of the southern part of the United States and was told that Chaplain Kirby, when I was over in Iraq, and I heard what you had done. The only thing, you know, I had soldiers around me dying. The only thing I wanted to do was get my hands around your neck and strangle you. Now, what would have happened? What, what could I have done to have created such fervor? Well, soldiers would come home from Iraq periodically. And we would have welcome home ceremonies. And I would assign a chaplain, because I was a senior chaplain, and I had like 30-some chaplains that worked for me. I would, sign a senior cha I would sign a chaplain to every coming home. And they would pray and say, God, thank you for the re safe return. Thank you for being with us. Just bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. And sometimes it wasn't even in Jesus' name, it was just the Lord's name, because I think Jesus knew who he is. One day I wasn't in the area, and that mission commander called back, told the other general to tell the other general, who told the other general, and he just got, went around to, to cease and desist on praying and praying at these, these, going away, these coming home ceremonies. But they didn't tell me. They told all the subordinate chaplains under me. I show up to the ceremony, thousand people there, no one, no chaplain there. I didn't, couldn't figure out why my chaplain wasn't there. I had I told them to be there. They were supposed to be there. They were supposed to pray. It didn't happen. So I prayed, and then I showed up every single time there was a ceremony right after that until they all came home and I prayed. And they couldn't stop me from praying. And for that, they wanted to throw me out of the army. I'm telling you folks, 
the line between what it means to be a Christian and a non-Christian has very clear demarcation lines today. As I rose to the ranks, when I got to, the, got to certain levels, I was always called upon to, to, to talk to the politicians that would come on post. And I saw several politicians who loved the Lord. I'm not saying that there's, there's not more. I just said I saw several that loved the Lord. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more out there that do that I just don't know. But I asked them, they shared with me that they would ask God and seek God's guidance and God's direction before they would make decisions. And for that reason, they would no longer be allowed to come. The qualifications to be in a politician today is not to, to listen to what God has to say or to say that there's a God in your life. Again, the line of demarcation between what it means to be a Christian and non-Christian is very clear. God will speak to us. God will direct us. What more, God will provide and protect us, even when we do dumb things. It's about time for me to quit, isn't it? <laughs> Let me tell you this real, real quick story, and then we're done. The humanity of God is always something that's always interesting for me. And I, 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 I think I heard, again, even Tim talk about God having a sense of humor. He has to have a sense of humor. God is told, Abraham is told that he's going to be the, the father of the son of promise, which is going to be... Isaac. Isaac would be the lineage from which Jesus would come, from which now we have salvation through Jesus Christ's name. Abraham is told to go to a land that he's never seen before, that he would be a blessing to others, that he would be a blessing to God himself. Gives his own sign, sealed approval of Abraham. God speaks to Abraham. Get this in your mind. He speaks to him like, I'm speaking to you. Then he gets to the land of Canaan where God sends him to. When he gets to Canaan, what does he do? He gets there and he finds out that there's a famine coming across the land. Rather than trusting in God and staying where God told him to stay and inhabiting the land that God had given to him, he says, I have to do something. I have to fix it. Don't worry. Isn't that where we are sometimes? God tells us, but we want to fix it ourselves. So again, Abraham starts on this self-fixing category. Thing that's going on with him. And he says, okay, I'm going to go to Egypt. Then he gets to Egypt, and then what, he does, then what does he do? He's there with his wife, Sarah. He says, you know, Sarah, you're a beautiful woman, and I know God's up there, and I know God cares about me, I know God speaks to me daily, and I know God's going to protect me, and I know God does all this stuff, but I don't know whether he's going to, I don't, I don't know about this, because you're just too beautiful for God. So you tell them that you are my sister. Now, we know how the story goes. We know that God saves Sarah from Pharaoh Abimelech, that Abraham is chastised by Abimelech and sent on his way. But isn't that how we are sometimes? I use the illustration, chased by an elephant, roared at by a lion, and chewed out by a clown. Because when I was decided to go into ministry, I went back to college. I went to Southeastern College in Lakeland, Florida. I went to Orlando to get a job. Because what do you do 
when you're trying to go to school, you had a wife down, you got a family, and you, you, you know, and what I had been in Fairfax was a police officer. I served for several years as a police officer. So I had a background in police, so I went to this, to this little park called Circus World to take care of their security. I became their head of security at Circus World, right outside of Orlando, right outside of Disney World. Great job. I got there, I got to give me a little white shirt, a little radio. I thought I was somebody, because I was the head of security of Circus World. I was probably making minimum wage. But I was the head of security. And they, tell, they gave me several instructions. See this, see this fence right here? Never go over the fence. Always walk around the fence. Now there's this fence that's like six foot tall. And there's a brick fence. You should always walk around it. Never go across it. Well, my office was right on the other side of the fence. You go, you jump over the fence. If you were to jump over the fence, you're not supposed to do that. But if you were to jump over the fence, you'd have like maybe 20 yards, and there's another one of these fences. There would be my office. Well, anyway, days go by. I look at that fence every day, walking a, a quarter mile around that fence, thinking, you know, it's only you know 20 yards or so across this. So when no one's looking, I'm the head of security. What are they going to do to me? They're going to call me, say, you got a guy going over the fence? So I get over the fence, jumped over the fence. Temptation is like the elephant. It's, sometimes it gets so big that we just don't understand. When I jumped over the fence, I started walking across the, the field. Florida is known for it's rainstorms. It's known for the middle of the day. It can be sunshiny and beautiful, and you can hear lightning. I mean, you can hear thunder, and you can see the see rain. So as I'm walking, I started to hear the thunder. I look up and around and think, oh, I don't see any thunder, but I could feel the ground moving. Look behind me. There's an Alaskan elephant fully tusked at a full gallop running towards me. There was a reason you should not jump across that fence. I started running. Wouldn't you? I started running. I, think, I, I tell people it was the first PT test I ever did for the Army. <laughs> I ran. I don't remember which way I was running because I didn't care where my office was at that moment. All I wanted to do was to get out of this field and get away from that elephant. He was going one way and I was going the other way. and I jumped over the the fence on the other side, and I got away from the elephant. And I was very happy. I was sitting there breathing, like, oh my gosh. You know, temptation. I was tempted. It just got so big. It got so big. Well, the Bible says that a lion is like a, you know, seeks who it can destroy. Two-headed, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Well, anyway, I, I back up away from the lion, I mean, away from the elephant, and I started feeling something furry behind me. I turned around and all I saw was the, the tonsils of a lion. And I had backed into the lion's den. True story. To make add insult injury, and I'm now still out of breath from the tiger, from the elephant, scared to death now from the lion, which I'm not, I'm just halfway in, in the cage. I'm not totally in the cage, it didn't have bars. I just had my arms and everything inside of it because I was leaning up against it when I turned around and he was there. Next thing I know, I'm getting pulled by a, a, a clown. And he's telling me everything about my family lineage and everything else in the world, about how smart I was. 
chased by an elephant, chewed out by a lion, I mean, chewed out, chased by an elephant, roared at by a lion, and chewed out by a clown. God has a sense of humor. Sometimes we, that's, what, that's exactly what happened with Abraham. He got, everything got so big that he, he, he told Sarah to say that he was his sister. The, the temptation was when he lied. That's when he gave in to the, to the, to the lion. And the clown that chewed him out and chastised him was ambivalent. The Pharaoh who said, get away from here and go from me. What have you done to me by bringing your wife into this place? It all begins when Jesus speaks. Have you heard God speak? He's speaking to you tonight, this morning.